0: You are listening to The Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to The Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Tom Kolditz. He is the Executive Director of Dor Institute of New Leaders at Rice University. He is responsible for the design and execution of a comprehensive leader development architecture with the goal of increasing the leadership capacity of 7,000 RISE students. He analyzes leader development processes and outcomes at university level, and he does a whole bunch of stuff besides that. Hi, Tom.
1: Hi, Andre. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, you you have such a wealth of knowledge that... um, I'm just going to let you add whatever you think is relevant about yourself to let the audience know.
1: Well, you know, I think what makes me a little different than most speakers is that I have a lot of time in uh, university settings, but I've also spent more than 35 years running my own organizations, either in the military or in the civilian sector. And so I have a pretty deep academic understanding of leadership, but I also have a lot of personal experience at it. And often you don't find both those things in one person.
0: It's really hard to find the combination of experience and also the academics part of it and melding them together. So I'm really excited about talking with you today. Great. Yeah. So um, let's take it from the top. What would be the biggest leadership success story you've witnessed personally?
1: You know, it depends on what you mean by leadership success story. If you mean in terms of an individual leader, then I would have to say the story is about a person named Lena Hidalgo. Okay. Lena Hidalgo grew up in Colombia, South America. And she fled Colombia because of uh, drug violence. She and her family left, yes. and they immigrated to the United States uh, when she was, I think, twelve years old. And she went to school in the United. Got into to Stanford University. Yes. And after she left Stanford, and she was involved in many. Um, many endeavors to promote um, the health and well-being of people. Uh, She found an opportunity to run for the senior administrative position in Harris County, Texas. Okay. Harris County, Texas is where Houston is. And it's the third largest county in the United States. It has... More than five point two million people, four hundred forty thousand businesses. It's about the size of uh, New Zealand with the same GDP. Oh, and Lena won the election to be the principal administrator of this county, and she was only twenty-seven years
0: old. Only twenty-seven.
1: Yes, so if you could imagine a young uh, immigrant, female, Latina, who's elected in the United States to run a county that's the size of a country, and she's, she was only 27 years old. I've, I've worked with her and advised her for more than a year now. She's an exceptional young leader. She leads from the heart. She has a complete commitment to the people of Harris County. She is immune from most of the political pressures that older candidates would have on them. And to me, her story represents one of the most amazing leadership stories I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, and it's also a true Rags to Success story.
1: Yeah, so now she's leading all those people through the pandemic that we're experiencing and Houston and Harris County, Texas, which is about physically, it's almost the size of our state of Connecticut. Uh, it's done very, very well uh, with I'm only, that. yeah, only maybe 230 deaths so far. Uh, you know, by comparison, just five hours away, we have new Orleans that has been decimated by the pandemic. And it's largely due to this young woman's leadership that we've been able to avoid a a major disaster like we have in New York City or Detroit or some of our other big cities.
0: And what does Lina do different than uh, other less successful leaders?
1: She thinks immediately about what the right thing to do is And she doesn't compromise on that. She focuses on doing the right thing. She doesn't care very much about political consequences for herself. She's interested in the people of her county. All five million of them. Um, There are 1.6 million Spanish speakers in Harris County, Texas. And so when she gives disaster instructions, she gives them first in English and then in her native Spanish. And she is the first politician in Houston, Texas, to ever do that, if you can imagine, with one point yes. six million Spanish speakers being ignored in the past. And now she talks to them one, on one in their own language.
0: That's amazing. And I find like as a leader, that should be like your number one priority to do the right thing for the people you're leading and make no compromises for their well-being, especially if you're in a public position. That's an expectation that at least that I have for (laughs) public leaders and also for leaders in companies. I expect them to take care of the business, but also take care of the people working inside the business.
1: Yeah, all of us as leaders are going to make good decisions and bad decisions. And she's made some very good decisions. And I would say she's also made a few mistakes. But as long as the focus continues to be on doing the right thing for the people you're leading, you'll be forgiven for the mistakes and everything will turn out well in the end. The politicians that are crippling the United States right now are the ones that are very self-interested. All they think is about being reelected, elected And uh, that, she is the opposite of that.
0: That's really good. And Tom, you were mentioning when I asked you about uh, stories, that, like a personal one uh, about a specific uh, person. Do you have another type of story? Because I'm all ears.
1: Well, right now... Um there's a leadership story unfolding in the United States okay. around how leaders are developed in our universities. Okay. And one of the reasons that we built the Dorr Institute um, after a large donation from, from uh, a Rice graduate was to show how well a university could do at developing leaders and then spread that across the United States. So we offer an executive quality leadership experience to every student in the school who wants it. That's 7,200. We've offered every one of those 7,000 students a full semester with a professional coach from the Houston business community, just like a senior executive would get. And we have 17 other programs as well. And we're seeing huge advances in these students' development. They make a higher starting salary. They make more money. And now we have an agreement with a, with the Carnegie Foundation to set new standards for leader development at colleges and universities uh, across the United States and in Canada across. and Australia. Yes, more than 5,000 schools.
0: That's and this will That means made. the program really works, and you yeah. can, uh, the, the results are palpable.
1: They're very measurable. We have a team of psychologists who do nothing but measure our outcomes. And, and by doing that, we've avoided spending money on things that don't work, and we only spend money on things that do work, like professional coaching. Usually there are so many shortcuts in universities, there's always a a cheaper and worse way of doing everything.
0: But
1: but what we find is when we do it the right way, we get powerful results, much more powerful results than coaching in business, for example. And um, so I think what you're going to see over the next few years is a gigantic market for professional coaching that develops in universities in the United States. We have business models that allow us to pay the coaches reasonably well, but still afford the coaching at a level that it can be done in university. We don't pay these coaches executive rates, even though they're yes. coaches. And so the idea is to prepare students before they get into business. Because once they're in business, it'll be a long time before that company is going to buy them a professional coach. They're going to have to be a vice president 15 to 20 years working for the company before they see that. So we want to give them a head start. And it's working very well.
0: And what's, what would be from what you've seen working with the students? What would be the biggest leadership mindset shift? that when, it, when you trigger it, you see like exponential growth in, uh, in that person's career and path and leadership skills?
1: Yeah, that's an easy question for us. Uh, without a doubt, it's a shift in their, what we refer to as leader identity. Okay. So they come in and they don't really think of themselves as leaders. They don't know what leadership is. They don't think of themselves as a leader, and so they don't seek out leader roles, and they don't lead. But when they work with a coach, by the time that coach is finished, they've had a shift in who they think they are, their personal identity. And now they see themselves as leaders, and so they step up, and they practice leadership, and they take on leadership roles, and it's like lighting a fire. And we measure it very, in a very sophisticated way. Our psychologists built a validated measure to measure leader identity, and we will share that with anyone in the world who wants it. Um, and uh, if you can change a person's identity to where they believe that they can lead, they will bring on all the necessary skills and take necessary actions to become a better leader over time. But if they don't have that identity in the first place, there's no yes. reason for them to lead or to it's learn. It's harder
0: and it becomes harder if you, you, you try to do it later. That's exactly. So if you
1: can cause a shift in an individual's identity where they see themselves as a leader, that's more than half the battle.
0: Yes. And um, as a follow-up question, it would be like, how is life on campus having so many students that identify as leaders? Well, you know,
1: we, we offer this, this amazing professional coaching opportunity to every student in the school. Right now, only about 40% of students will accept that offer and get a professional coach. Some students don't want to be leaders. Some students don't think they can learn to lead. They think they're already leaders. But about 40% do it. And we've seen a big shift in the effectiveness of students, not academically, not in terms of their grades, but in terms of running student organizations, uh, better resilience. We we also measure well-being in terms of psychological distress, uh, sense of purpose, and overall uh, life satisfaction. And we find huge advances in those well-being variables as a result of our work. And now we're doing an ROI study, a return on investment study, that's showing that between 95 and 120 fewer students seek psychological counseling because Whoa. they're coached. So the university has a psychology center where people yes. can go for therapy. But we now estimate that they're getting 95 to 120 fewer students a year because those students instead are doing professional coaching with a coach and their needs are being met in that way as opposed to psychological therapy.
0: I, I for one, am so happy to hear that instilling leadership traits in students creates like a more wholesome environment on campus. And it's beneficial in so many ways. It's not uh, just uh, when you finish work, when you start working and finish uh, college and then you go to in the work field and then you're going to use them. And that's, that's the thing I found about leadership it's a vital skill because you get to use it each and every day whether you're a manager or not because you have to lead yourself you have a family uh, you have friends go out somebody has to step into a leadership position in all those situations yeah it's a uh, it's a really positive shift
1: And in the United States, particularly in our top 20 universities, and and my university, Rice, is about number 15 or so in the United States. But in these top universities, it's very, very stressful for students. They're all very competitive. They've come from all over the United States. They were probably the smartest student in their high school, but now they're in a university with thousands and thousands of smart, people and so it's very competitive and stressful and the coaching tends to make it much easier for them to adapt to that environment
0: awesome stuff uh and now moving on what would be the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing uh
1: the biggest leadership failure i think i've seen Uh, is happening right now in terms of the U.S. leadership's response to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, There was a Columbia University study that came out uh, today that showed that two weeks worth of delay from our president, who was calling the virus a hoax and saying it would stay in China and saying it would just go away, that those two weeks cost us somewhere between 36,000 and 54,000 American lives.
0: Oh, that's a lot. Wow.
1: That's more than the lives we've lost in Iraq, Afghanistan, and the 9-11 terrorist attacks combined. Yes. To me, that is the, the biggest leadership failure that I've seen in modern times.
0: And what would, do you think it's the root cause of it? The root
1: cause is that our president thinks mostly about himself and his own reelection. And consequently he needed to downplay the virus so that the economy would stay strong so that he could be reelected. And it wasn't until he was faced with overwhelming evidence that he was willing to admit that the pandemic was a threat. And by then it was too late. And so now we have almost 100,000 deaths in the United States. Uh, There's no real end in sight. Our economy Mm. has been badly damaged. And most of it was unnecessary. And we look at the brilliant leadership that we saw in New Zealand and the brilliant leadership that we saw in South Korea, where so few people have died and their economies are still intact. And so the U.S. has taken this major hit with tens of thousands of unnecessary deaths. And it's all because of bad leadership.
0: Yes. And taking this and transposing like more in a business context, if you have like a self-absorbed leader of an organization, a company, uh, what what kind of impact have you seen in your experience on, on that organization? You know, I've seen a lot of businesses in crisis.
1: And in a crisis, the problem is there's a lot of uncertainty. And the only leverage that a leader has is trust. So, what I've seen is leaders who are not only competent, but show concern for other people are trusted in these kinds of business crises. I saw it during our banking crisis. In 2008. But conversely, if the leaders are self-absorbed, if all they're worried about are their own paychecks and how they're going to do, then people in the company don't listen to them. And the company nice. dissolves much faster because people are looking for other jobs, people are disloyal, and it's because they don't trust a leader who is so focused on himself or herself that they're willing to throw the rest of the company, what we say under the bus, they're willing to sacrifice the rest of the country uh, in order to profit themselves. And uh, that's essentially what's happening in the States right now at a, at a federal government level. And I've seen it happen in business many, many times.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's a true t- tragedy to see it happen because it's not good for everybody. And people are not – they can see through you, they, especially when you're in a leadership position, all eyes are on you. So they can see if you really care about them, if you also have their uh, – you have good intentions towards them and you want to, to help them or not. So it's not something that you can hide easily. And it's, it's not good in, in, any, in any situation. I cannot think of any, of any situation where being, being so self-absorbed and only looking at their interest is going to help you in the long term.
1: Yeah, you know, and if you look at this in terms of theory, if you talk academically about it, okay. Robert Greenleaf in the 1930s was already talking about servant leadership. And how powerful it was for leaders to act more like servants to their people and less like kings. And uh, consequently, uh, that tradition has developed, particularly in the United States military, where officers are In expect- the
0: military.
1: Oh, yes. Officers in the United That's States. the last
0: place mil- you would expect.
1: Yes. Because... In the military, you know, the law gives you a lot of formal authority. Yes. But the philosophy in the U.S. military is that you're really taking care of your soldiers, and so you use as little of that authority as possible. And so, so it's important to us, uh, at least in the U.S., to have leaders that are focused on the well-being of the people. We consider that a moral obligation. So leaders don't bless themselves with a lot of benefits and advantages. They should be focusing on what they could do for their people and their organization. That's what Lena Hidalgo is like. Uh, And when they don't do that, that's what Donald Trump looks like.
0: Uh, And if it's good enough for the military where leadership is like, when you think about leadership, you think about the military – and servant leadership is applied like at all levels inside the military, especially the U.S. military. It means that you, uh, in business, you should look like even deeper on it and how to use it and how to apply it. It just makes sense.
1: Yes, um, you know, and it's funny. The first person that I can find who actually wrote about the importance of leaders focusing on the well-being of the people that are following them. It was actually someone 30 years before Robert Greenleaf, and it was a woman named Mary Parker Follett. And she began writing in the business literature. She was refused entry to Harvard because she was a woman. And she nonetheless was able to become a professor (coughs) and write about this while Robert Greenleaf was still in his diapers. Uh, He took her ideas, as best I can tell, and then expanded them into the servant leadership framework. But it was really a woman. She was a social worker by training. Then she became a management professor, and her name was Mary Parker
0: yeah, and that's, that's a really powerful idea and also something that shows how well you, you research leadership and work because if you find a concept that's new and modern in some way, if you dig deep enough, you also find it, it was actually incarnated from some older concept and then maybe in an older one and the more research you do, you, you realize like nothing is new under the sun, it's just repackaged in a way.
1: Yes, there there have only been one or two new ideas in leadership in probably the last 75 years. Most of it is very enduring. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, I I work in a university. Academics can split hairs and get into details. But the reality, the important ideas are, you know, 50 to 75 years old. They're not that new. We've been leading people for millennia. Yes. And, and so we know, we know what works. The issue is, do economics get in the way? Does war get in the way? Does, does sexism get in the way? Does racial bias get in the way? But the actual leadership principles are very well formed.
0: Mm-hmm in my case, I have to say, like, laziness sometimes gets in the way because you have to do a lot of work to improve your leadership style and become a better leader. And sometimes you just say, I'm not willing to do it. So that's something that gets in my way, and probably some people will will relate to that.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. It is hard work. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons the work never stops is that, being a good leader means giving to other people what they need. It's less about our personal qualities as leaders. And it's more of a question of what do people need right now? And am I giving them that? And, and it requires us to be very flexible and agile. Sometimes we have to be very directive. Other times we have to be very collaborative Of course, that idea, the idea of situational leadership, came up in the early 1960s. Not a new Mm -hmm. idea at all. And it still applies in the way that we have to approach, for example, crisis. In a crisis, we have to lead people who are afraid And and they're anxious and they're worried about our competence and the ability to get through the crisis. Well, that's not about us. That's about them. That's about giving them what they need. And it's so, um, true. so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting that it, it's so hard for us to apply some of these fundamental ideas that will never change. Um, but time and again, people fail to apply them well.
0: It's a daily struggle. Um, and Tom, based on all your experience or everything that you've studied, everything that you've seen, what would be your leadership philosophy
1: so my my leadership philosophy and what I try to teach the people around me and I do coach a lot of people, the first thing a leader has to understand it's not about you. Okay. My philosophy is that my leadership obligation to other people to make them more effective to make our organization more effective to take care of them to make them into the best people they can be and so so it's not about me possessing any special set of skills it's about a commitment to other people and you know the higher you go in leadership the more true it is that you're now putting a roof over other people's heads. You're putting food on other people's tables. And that comes with it an incredible moral obligation. You know, no one says someone has to be a leader. You do that voluntarily. And when you take on the obligation of providing for other people, making their careers, helping them make money, there's a powerful moral obligation there and you don't really have the right to be bad at it. And that I think is my own philosophy and it's what I try to teach other people when they come to me and they want to be coached or they want me to teach them about leadership. I said, I always say if you think this is about you and making you better and making you more rich, you'll never be very good at it. But as soon as you let go of that and you focus on other people, all of those good things come anyway. Uh-huh. But the more you tr- the more you make it about yourself, the less effective you'll be as a leader and the less successful you'll be in business.
0: and And that's like the irony of it, like the more you want and that's <clears throat> that's something. the more you grow in a more in leadership in big in bigger positions with more responsibilities actually what grows is your responsibility towards the people that uh, are working under you and you have to help them that's that's what you're doing removing obstacles helping coaching them mentoring them training them whatever you need to help them have be more successful in a way, you're like you're like uh, you know, the Romans had the paterfamilias concept.
1: I see, yes. Yes, exactly. You know, one of the people who I've seen who's gotten this very, very correct is a, a well-known business leader in the United States named Alan Malali. He was the CEO of Boeing Aircraft, and then he became the CEO of Ford Motor Company. And he rebuilt both those companies. And uh, he said that a leader has to be the person in the room who listens more than he speaks and who recognizes that he's not the smartest person in the room. Oh, my God, yes. And so when when you turn loose of all this ego and self-interest and focus on one's own self, and you focus on the people in the organization and making them better. Before you know it, you're a great leader. And you, you got that way by turning loose of all that self-interest.
0: Sounds easy. Not always that easy, unfortunately. When that's the struggle you have to go. If you want to be a leader, that's the struggle you have to fight each day. Uh, and... Um, Now, for aspiring leaders, what would be your top three leadership tips you have for them? So, we've done
1: some good research that shows that if a student goes into university and they do nothing to develop themselves as leaders, they just get their academic degree in mathematics or engineering or history or what have you, they are no better as leaders the day they graduate than four years before when they they came into university. In other words, getting an educational degree does not make you any better as a leader. So my first thing to aspiring leaders is, it takes some work. It takes
0: some work. Work on your skills.
1: You have to apply yourself. The second thing that I would tell aspiring leaders It's not about reading about leadership. It's not about leadership theories. It's about practice. It's about doing it. It's it's running a meeting, and the meeting turns out badly, and then you take the time after to reflect and say, why was I unsuccessful? Why was that meeting such a disaster? And then the next meeting you lead is better.
0: That's coming from, and coming from the academia world, saying like practice is the most important, uh, important part to become a better leader. That's really powerful.
1: Yes. You know, I mean, we have many universities in the United States that give uh, academic degrees in leadership. You can get a, you can major in leadership or have a leadership minor or get a bachelor's degree uh, or even a Ph.D. in leadership. Oh my God. And I don't think all that academic study does anything to make a person a better leader. It teaches them a lot about leadership. But some of the worst leaders I've seen have had academic degrees in leadership. And so, It's about practice. It's about applying, you know, good, solid leadership principles that are yes. not that complex. Work hard. Put other people first. Be empathetic. See the world through the eyes of the people who see you. Be self-aware. That's what it takes. And th- that's also in leadership theory. Leadership theory will say that self-awareness is important but it takes practice to know how you look to other people. And that's what makes you a better leader as opposed to just a student of leadership.
0: And the third tip would be,
1: I'm sorry, say that again.
0: The tip number three would be, I'm counting here. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Tip number three would be believe in yourself. OK, one of the one of the most powerful problems that our students work on is self-confidence. They don't think they can lead. They don't think they can do it. It, it. it makes them afraid. That's a shame. And in front of their peers. But but, you know, anyone who works hard at this can become a good leader. Great leaders are not born. Great leaders spend long periods of time getting to know themselves and getting to know the people that they're working with and, and then giving those people what they need. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter if you're an academic genius or you're just an average student. If you work hard at leadership, you can do it. You could get good at it. And it would be much easier for new uh, leaders if they just accepted that from the beginning, if they just have confidence in themselves from day one. Um, So that would be my third tip is believe in yourself. Have confidence. You can do this, and you are guaranteed to make mistakes along the way. No question about it. You will make (laughs) mistakes along the way, but you will survive those mistakes. And those mistakes don't happen because you're a bad leader. The mistakes happen because what you're trying to do doesn't always match the needs of the circumstances. And so when you, over time, when you learn to align what your skills and abilities are with what other people need, you'll be a powerful leader.
0: Well, that's... That's a really interesting concept of it. Uh, I'll have to think about it more. But it's true, like, uh, if you don't believe in yourself, it's like you're amputating yourself and uh, reducing your chances of success, not just at leadership, but in anything you're trying to do. Well, sure. I mean, you're,
1: if, if you're leading me, I need to have confidence in you. If you don't have confidence in you, how can you possibly lead me? Why would you expect yeah. me to have confidence if you don't have it? So that's what I tell these young leaders: is you know why should anyone be led by you? And probably the most important reason is because you think you can do it, because yeah, you that's your identity. To,
0: yeah. yeah, you need to have confidence in yourself, and have so much confidence that it actually spreads to your to your team, right? Uh, and Tom, I'm really curious, what is the book that had the most profound impact on you?
1: I would say the book that's had the most profound impact on me is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl.
0: Okay. And what, how did it change What kind of impact did it have on you?
1: Well, you know, this is a very famous book. our Our Library of Congress ranks it as one of the top ten books ever written. And it was the story of Frankel and his survival in the concentration camps uh, during World War II. And the one of the biggest points that Frankel makes in that in that book is one of the very last freedoms that a person has when all their other freedoms have been taken away is to have the attitude that they want for themselves at any given time. That indomitable spirit that you're going to succeed, you're going to sacrifice, but you're going to succeed and that no one can ever take that away from any of us. Yes. And so I think in so many parts of my life, when things were difficult, uh, I would think back to what Victor Frankl went through, you know, what his fight was like. And he just decided that he was going to survive and no one could yes. take that away from him. So I think a lot of leaders would benefit from that. You know, if you read Victor Frankl, uh, it's very difficult for you to think, for example, that a pandemic that makes you stay at home for three months is a big problem.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: It's Compared not. Compared to what you went through.
0: Problem.
1: Yeah, it's a little problem. And, y- you know, we've had economic impact now. We'll probably have six months of of terrible investment performance. And many people are fretting about that and worrying about their livelihoods and so forth. And honestly, it's, it's nothing compared to what others have gone through uh, in order to survive. So Viktor Frankl has made me an optimist. You know, when you asked me how I was doing, oh. I told you, fabulous as always, right? Yes. Yes. That's where that comes from. And I, you know, I t- I've talked recently to a university president and talked to him about our, our leadership program, and how it's still thriving. And he told me, he said, you're the only person I talk to that has any optimism. Said, everyone, <laughs> oh, else, what? everyone else I talk to has a bad attitude. You know, it's all negativity. And leaders have to show people a bright future. If, yes. if you can't point out a bright future, why would anyone follow you there?
0: Yes, exactly. Why? God's name. <laughs> well, Tom, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go?
1: Well, the Door Institute, D-O-E-R-R, is all over the web, very easy to find on any social media whether it's the World Wide Web or Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Uh, the same with me. Uh, I, I have my own website at TomColdage.com. But I would really rather that, re- that listeners go to the Door Institute that I've built and look at what we're doing there and think of how we might be of use to you because we don't, we don't feel like we compete with anyone. We will give away all of our knowledge, all of our instruments, all of our business models, all of our leader development techniques. We give it all away. And we'll, we will help anyone in the world who wants to create more and better leaders.
0: That's so gracious of you. And I recommend anybody that, especially if you, if you have a connection in, um, to a local university or um, an NGO or anything that works on building leaders or they want a really stellar program, reach out to Tom, reach out to the Door Institute for new leaders and see how you can bring all that technology and spread it around because for God's sakes, the world needs better leaders. And it's it's never enough when it comes to leadership. It can always be improved and made better. Indeed. Well, thank you, Tom, for coming on the show. It has been a pleasure. I learned a lot. You gave me lots of food for thought. A true pleasure.
1: For me as well, Andre. Thank you
0: very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, You can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.